a lot I know about God. I know that he loves me. I know that he loves me so much that he sent his son to save me. I know that he wants to give me this abundantly more life. And I know that the cross is the center of having faith in Jesus. I feel myself having an internal battle of what I know to be true and the things I don't understand. I know that God loves me, that he's always loved me. I know that God sent his son to save me. I know that my sins are forgiven. But in the back of my mind, there's still something that eats away at me. Why? Why did Jesus have to die? Why did he have to die so horribly? Why was he branded a criminal and beaten and hung there? Why did Jesus have to die on a cross? Why did he have to die in such a cruel and inhumane way? Did he have to die the death of a criminal? Why did Jesus have to die? Why did Jesus have to die? Good morning, and welcome, and it's great that we can gather here today uh, in our homes together when we can't be in the building together. My hope is that whether it's in the chaos of trying to wrangle your family all around one device, or whether in the quietness and solitude in your home, that you would be able to have a holy moment at home. Reminded that the Spirit of God is not confined to the walls of this building But that God is with you wherever you are, not just in the duration of this service, but in the entirety of your day. These are unprecedented times. And when our focus wavers, fear has the potential to steal away our livelihood. But it is intentional love that will sustain us. We need each other. And right now, the sanctuary is empty, which means the church has been mobilized. That God has called you to where you are right now. To be hope in the middle of a hopeless situation. To be light where there might be darkness. To stand beside people in the ways that we can and to bless the world around us. So let us not forget our calling in the middle of this uncertain time. And be hopeful because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. Continue to be the church and the light wherever you are because God has strategically placed you where you are today. And with that, I just want to say I'm excited to be here this morning and to teach in the second week of this series called Why Did Jesus Have to Die? Where we ask one of the most important questions that we could ask as believers and as non-believers Why did Jesus have to die? Why the cross? Why the crucifixion? Why all of these questions are so critical that we be asking? And, you know, as we approach Easter, sometimes it's easy to skip ahead to just thinking about the resurrection because it is so important, it's critical, and how Jesus overcame death on our behalf. But there's some elements in the cross that are essential to understanding who God is and what he's done for us. And sometimes we miss out on those details when we just fast forward to the ending. It's, it's like, it reminds me of one time Becky and I were in, uh, my wife Becky and I were in uh, a bookstore, and the seventh book in our favorite series had just come out. And we were really excited. Becky saw it first. She's like, Eric, check it out. It's here. It's out. And so we were both thrilled. And then it was as if everything went into slow motion as I watched her flip to the back of the book to the last chapter, and start reading, and like probably making a scene. I go, what are you doing? <laughs> and she goes, I just had to know if the main character died or not, because if he died, I wasn't going to read the book. And I was like, okay, but still, who flips to the last chapter of the last book of a series and starts reading? I was just like, I couldn't believe it. 
But then I realized, like, <laughs> this is exactly what we do sometimes when we just skip to the resurrection and we don't pay attention to what happened in the details leading up to that and the symbolism of the cross. And we miss, we overlook some things that are vitally important to who God is and what he's done for us. So as we, we start to take a look at this, I want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Where Paul's writing to this church in Corinth and he says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So we see this contrast here that uh, the, the cross maybe wasn't seen the same then as it was now, that there's maybe something different that we're missing here. We see this contrast between the power of God and the cross, and then some people seeing it as foolishness. Well, when we understand what the cross symbolized in Roman culture, we understand why uh, maybe some people thought that. The cross was anything but a religious symbol. In Roman culture, the cross would have represented uh, such fear and shame. It would have evoked these strong emotions uh, of fear under Roman oppression. And it was anything but religious. It was reserved for the worst of humanity. It was in completely godless on all accounts. Not only was it the most painful form of public torture and execution, but its motive was to, to bring as much shame and public disgrace as possible. That this person was not fit to live as a human, but to die the death of a rabid beast. To be displayed as the most vile piece of material filth on the face of the earth. To publicly declare shame and disgrace in every form possible. So it seems really odd that this would become a symbol of anything religious at all. I mean, it seems opposite when we hear the, the, the power of God is revealed on the cross. How do these two come together? Well, it's in this, it's, it's, it's about what Jesus did through the cross for us and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He took the worst that humanity had to offer. The cross was the most detestable symbol on the face of the earth. We have nothing really to compare it to now in the amount of public shame and, and degra degrading uh, factors that happened on the cross. But Jesus took the worst that humanity had to offer and he, he brought life out of the middle of it. He rose from the dead and brought life out of the middle of it. Brought restoration and turned that to be the symbol of hope and restoration for all of humanity. And the message of the cross is the power of God to transform and restore what is completely godless within us. The message of the cross is the power of God to completely transform and restore what is godless within us. He chose to transform this, the most detestable symbol in Roman civilization to make this one definitive statement to us. That nothing and no one is beyond saving. There's this pervasive question in humanity and in, in every one of us is, can God really handle my mess? Can he really handle the, the darkness within, the bad parts about me? I mean, man, if you really knew me, you'd be telling me not to even come near you. 
And the cross is God's declarative statement that, yes, he can. The message of the cross is the power of God to transform and restore what is completely godless within us. He took the iconic symbol of fear and shame and and disgrace and transformed it to be the symbol of hope and restoration Showing us what he can do in our lives. That he takes the symbols in our life that evoke fear around us. The symbols in our life that bring shame from our past or our present situation. The things that have dug holes in our soul and our life that have brought hurt and pain that we continue to carry around with us. He takes those symbols and he transforms them as he comes alive in us. We become just like the cross when we welcome him into our life as we become a symbol of hope and restoration as Jesus emerges from within us through the power of his Holy Spirit. That is the message of the cross. That is the message of the power of God within us. And that is what the cross is about. It is about the power of God alive within us. Regardless of the situations around us, regardless of what has happened to us, regardless of the symbols that once marked our lives, the message of the cross is about being marked by a new symbol, his Holy Spirit, and becoming one of restoration and wholeness. So we understand a little more about what God was doing in all of this who God is and what he's about. But then it begs the question, why was it necessary? And what problem was God solving? Well, <laughs> look around or just look inside. I mean, there's like brokenness uh, all around us. And it doesn't take long to see, uh, see that everywhere. And Alice mentioned last week in her teaching, uh, she talked about this power of sin. And if you haven't seen her teaching, check it out from last week. But she talks about this, this force of sin that drives us to do the things we don't want to do. The, that, you know, we see the, the evidence of brokenness and selfishness and hate and anger, the unspeakable acts that have been done, the hurtful words that have happened that, again, dig, souls in our, in our, in our, dig holes in our souls that we carry around for the rest of our lives, all the while pretending that we're just fine managing this power of sin in our life. And while we turn our attention to one, one element of sin in our lives and, and manage it to a tolerable level, and then we turn around to manage another part of sin to a tolerable level, this one comes back three times stronger. And so as we turn to face that one again, then this one comes back with three friends and digs its claws in our back. And so on and on this cycle of sin and shame goes. It is a lose-lose game, folks. No one ever wins. It's like being trapped in Chuck E. Cheese playing an endless game of whack. It's not going to be good for anybody. There's something in us and around us, this force in our lives that we cannot fix ourselves. And as Romans 5 uh, verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, And death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. We see then how sin entered the world. It entered humanity at this one point, and like a virus began to spread, the symptoms began to emerge. And as we then contaminated everyone with this this power of sin, as we were infected, it just becomes a part of humanity. 
And you see, God in his great mercy couldn't just leave us in this mess of, of pain and self-destruction. We see his heart break for humanity. And in Isaiah 59, we read like God's heart for his people. And this whole passage of chapter 59, but in particular verse 15, where it says, The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. And he was appalled that there was no one to intervene. And God's heart broke for humanity. He hears us in our cry. He feels our pain. Knowing that we couldn't save ourselves from this, this force of sin and shame in our lives. So then we can understand why, like, why did Jesus have to die? So that a power greater than sin could rule in our lives. Jesus died so that a power greater than sin could rule in our lives, so that we could truly live in him. And it goes on in chapter 5 of Romans, in verse 18 through 19, where it talks about this. And he says, Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. So we see this act of love, this act of substitution that God said, like, something needs to be done here. And he, he took our place there. He offered a way out. And sometimes this idea of, of substitution of Jesus taking our place can be kind of tricky to understand. Of like, So sin entered humanity at this one point, and then it just infected us all. But then how is this resolved through one man? How does that affect the power of sin in me or in my life or in the world around me? What does that really do? And I think a lot of times the technical explanation of this doesn't really take root in our hearts because we don't understand the concept really of what's happening. So I'd like to use a story to help us understand this, a made-up story uh, that, I've, that I've put together here, and I'd like to read this to you to help maybe understand the concept of what's happening a little better. Using our imagination, let's pretend that a highly contagious virus is spreading on a global scale. Contamination is 100% imminent. And no matter of isolation can protect any living creature from exposure. It is airborne, and it will even contaminate the pores of all organic matter. The resulting exposure leads to certain and agonizing death. The future is bleak, and all options have been exhausted for prevention as markets and economies crumble. Humanity seems as though it may be on the brink of extinction. In Alaska, the World Health Organization finds, by chance through a blood donation, one man with a genetic anomaly. His white blood cells have a unique quality of mirroring and overpowering any foreign virus, and it leaves a cellular byproduct that acts as an antibody, as it almost supernaturally overpowers the viral cells. Having seen nothing like this, and, and after extensive tests, they realize that if they inject him with a highly concentrated dose of the virus and let it run its course on his body, 
in full effect, ravaging his organs in agony and bringing him to complete and certain death. The blood sample right after he passes will contain the antibody that can be cultured into a vaccine that will save all of humanity from the virus. But it will cost him his life. Seeing that no person had the ability within to save themselves from the virus, that something needed to be done. He agreed to sacrifice his life to save humanity. And as the virus ravaged his body and he lay in suffering agony, the only thing on his mind was the life that would result and the love that would follow. And as death finally overcame him and the blood sample was taken, they were able to successfully make a vaccine from his blood. With certain death on the horizon from this plague, many chose to be infused with the antibody. So that what was done in the body, in his body, would be a part of their blood. So that their survival and life were not dependent on their ability to fight it off but rather what was accomplished in the blood of one man for all of humanity. That the power of his blood would be the fuel for life in every human that took the vaccine. The outcome is certain. Some will choose to take the vaccine, and some will refuse. Convinced they can fight off certain death and hopeless effort. This is what God did for us. God allows us to trade our sin for his spirit. And when we believe in him, we are filled with a new spirit that overwhelms the dark things within us so that we may truly live. When we believe in him, we are filled with a new spirit that overwhelms the dark things within us so that we may truly live. So that we could be defined by his love rather than our inability to do good. In Galatians 3, 13 through 14, it talks about this further. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that by faith we might receive the promised Holy Spirit. By faith we receive his spirit and it begins to overwhelm the dark things within us as he begins to emerge from within us by the power of his Holy Spirit. That's, this is why Jesus died for us. This is why he took on the, the brunt of, of sin so that it could empty its power on him. So that we may truly live in him. Now, if in this week you have some extra time or want to carve out some extra time to read a little bit more about this, um, here's, here's a little bit 
of, of extra passages that you could begin to read in um, that deal with this, this issue here. Romans chapters 5 through 9, Galatians 5, Ephesians chapters 1 through 2, 1 Corinthians 1, Colossians 2, and Hebrews chapter 5 and chapter 7 through 10. And I would encourage you just to begin to dive into those passages and, and just read them. And you're not going to understand it all at first, and that's fine. But like write down your questions and begin to dig into these and ask questions. Because there is so much life that comes from that. So what do we learn from this? Understanding the godlessness of the symbol of the cross in Roman culture, and then understanding the, the fact of substitution that Jesus took our place. I think we can take away two things that drastically affect the way we live our life. First of all, understanding that God is with us and that he is for us even when we can't see him. He has felt our pain. He has joined us in our hurt. He understands. He hears our cries. And what he did on the cross, he did so that we could have a way out. And we need to understand that God is working even when we cannot see him working. God offering himself in, in Christ's crucifixion showed that his love knows no boundaries. And that in the middle of a hopeless situation, God is with us. While Jesus was declaring victory over sin and death on the cross, God's greatest act of love towards humanity, the disciples thought all was lost. They thought, wait a minute, what's going wrong? They thought the Messiah was being exterminated, that it was done and it was over until Jesus was, rose from the dead. They were in a pit of despair and discouragement. They thought, where is God now? God was in the middle of it, with showing his greatest act of love for humanity of all time, so that when we think God isn't within miles of us, chances are he's right in the middle of it, right there with us, ready to bring life out of the brokenness. The cross is a constant reminder that when all hope seems lost, God is with us. And the second thing that we can take away from this is this. It comes from Romans chapter 4, verse 17. That God is a God that brings life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. If there were more beautiful words written, I don't know. I remember coming across that in college, and like for a week straight, that was the only thing I, re- I just read over that and over, like trying to figure out what does that mean? This is what God is about, bringing life to the dead parts in us, calling things that are not as though they were, bringing life and wholeness and restoration out of the things that, that are not. I heard this story from this, this gal who lived in, in California, and it was just uncanny in how it relates to this situation. She was out there in California and finally found a place that she could live in that was a nice place and wasn't like... You know, didn't, she didn't have to work five jobs to, uh, to pay rent, and she loved the place. But the only thing was the landlord didn't allow pets. She had a dog. And so she convinced the landlord to give her a chance. And she, so she's like, you know, I'll be really good about, you know, keeping the place clean and that sort of thing. It's a really nice dog. And so he agreed to, you know, waive that rule. And so let her move in. In the first week, 
the dog dug a giant hole in the front yard. And she's like, oh my gosh, you've got to be kidding me. Like, what am I going to do? He's probably going to evict me or make me get rid of my dog. And so she goes and like gets some dirt and fills the hole in and puts grass seed over it, tries to cover it up, you know, and, and she lets the landlord know. She said, hey, this happened. I just want to let you know. I, fi- I filled the hole in, put grass seed in. I'm really sorry. It won't happen again. The following week, the dog gets out of its collar when it was outside, goes back to the same spot in the front yard, and digs the hole out again. And she's like, oh, man, that is it. Like, I, I, like she's just, like, beside herself, like, trying to figure out, like, what is going to happen here? So she fills it in. She puts some seed back over it again and tries to, cut, you know, fill the hole to make it back where it was. She lets the landlord know. He was understanding. He said, thanks for filling it in. Uh, it'll be fine. And uh, the third week... It happened again. This time, the landlord came across it before she knew about it. And what the landlord did in that situation, he went out and he bought a tree. And he put the tree in the hole in the front yard. He gave that hole a purpose. And the dog never dug In that yard again. And this is what God does in our lives. The things, the holes in our soul and the things that dig deep into us, the holes that we carry around. This is what God does when we allow him to come in the middle of those things. When we say, God, I turn those things over to you. There's this hurt and this pain, this decay in my soul. These things that have been done to me or that I've done to others. And what he does is he doesn't try and pretend that they're not there. He doesn't just try and move on and cover it up and glance over it. He gives purpose to the wounds. He gives purpose to those holes in our life so that new life can emerge out of those. He recognizes the hurt and pain and allows new life to emerge. We cannot keep trying to manage sin ourselves, trying to manage hurt and pain ourselves, trying to manage fear ourselves, and keep trying to just cover it up and pretend it's not there, because it will continue just to decay our lives, to bring death slowly in the ways that we live. Jesus, what Jesus accomplished in his death and his resurrection on the cross, he did so that the words of many would have no power over us, but that we would be defined by his love for us. So that the habit and addiction would not own us, but that freedom would own us. That bitterness would not erode our lives, but that love would build our life. That pain and destruction in our life would not leave gaping holes, but that in the middle of the dead places that we are in, we could find life and healing and purpose. And when we are willing to face head on the holes in our life, the broken things that that were represented on the cross, we realize that the only solution comes from outside ourselves. And that is the message of the cross. It is the power of God for all who believe. Because it declares that God is with us. That God is for us. And that he has taken the worst that humanity has to offer. And transformed it to be a symbol of hope and restoration. And that he is eagerly waiting to do the same in our lives.
So my hope is that for many, today may be the first on a journey toward hope, healing, and life. You know, and there might be some of you at home, many of you, maybe all of us, I don't know, that have just let our focus waver. And in this moment at home, maybe we just, you want to just re, <laughs> redirect yourself and recommit to where your hope really lies. And maybe for some of you, you've never heard or understood this in this way, and you're saying, you know what, this is, the, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to follow. I want to follow God in this way. I want him to come into my life and, and bring life out of the dead places inside of me. So I would just encourage you, if you're in that boat, uh, just to pray along with me as we close things out. Lord Jesus, Thank you for the cross and what you have accomplished on the cross for us. That we could be forgiven of our sins, God, that we could have true and abundant life in you. And so right now, Lord, we just confess that you are God. And God, we just give our sin and our shame to you. And we ask for forgiveness. And Lord, we ask that you would come into our lives, deep in our hearts, that you would be Lord in our life. God, that you would emerge from us and bring life where there is none. God, that you would overwhelm the dark things within us. God, we just commit ourselves to you. We accept your gift of salvation and forgiveness. That we may truly live in you. You are good, God. And we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.